This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Welcome to the Elk Shape Podcast. I'm Dan Staten. This is your blue collar, do-it-yourself, self-guided, public land, elk hunting learning curve resource, where we leverage hunting to create more personal development. Our goal is to educate and encourage our listeners to become the best possible version of themselves through hard work, delayed gratification, and being accountable to themselves. What's up, guys? Welcome to the Elk Shape Podcast with me, Dan, the fitness man. How you living? Uh, we are in November. It is 2020. I think most of us are wrapping up our hunting seasons and uh, looking forward to a new and hopefully better year, 2021. It's got to be better than 2020. I will say uh, 2020 for me personally has been a good season as far as hunting goes, uh, good preparation, good execution, um, but... I'm looking forward to just getting out of this funk that it seems to plague all Americans. And uh, yeah, so let's keep everything positive and light and encouraging on today's show. We are going to sit down and record with Sean DeGray. This guy is the owner-operator of TAC Total Archery Challenge. If you've never heard of them, um, that's good. I want you to, to get it on your radar and I want to talk to him today about business, becoming an entrepreneur, side hustles, and taking risks, and getting your teeth kicked in, and picking yourself up off the floor, and working hard towards your vision, your dreams, your goals, and just not getting discouraged when your chips are down. And Sean does a great job kind of giving us the backstory on Total Archery Challenge. It's a 3D mountain course. It's usually a multiple day. And he started out with, I think, just a couple and he was talking on the podcast, as you'll find out, about maybe doing 12 locations in 2021. I know that he had to cancel quite a few in 2020, 
but uh, he didn't cancel Big Sky, and I was able to go to Big Sky, and I'm telling you that is just some of the best training grounds to get ready for elk season is doing a 3D mountain shoot, and they do it right. They're very organized and dialed, and he's an operator, so I've known Sean for, we figured out that uh, we've known each other since I think 2006 when we shot a 3D course together, and so he's a really good dude. He's got an extensive background in guiding, uh, obviously for elk, but also in Alaska for brown bear. Uh, he's just got a lot of reps in the field and uh, he's a hell of an entrepreneur and he's quite the family man he's just got a lot of things going on for himself that i really dig today's podcast is brought to you by the vortex optics out of wisconsin making awesome glass for your rifles for your binos your spotters your rangefinders, and they have that vip warranty i think honestly one of the best brands I work with, and I appreciate you guys' support. Vortex, check them out. When you support them, you support me, and I appreciate that. Kafaru, I'm rocking the hoodlum. Uh, I think that's the best backpack for elk hunting, period. And we did a video on the, the hoodlum. It's on our YouTube channel. If you're not a subscriber, check it out. And speaking of our YouTube channel, November 19th, we are dropping our day-by-day -day elk hunting series. This year, I had the privilege to have a cameraman, and so I had almost every day filmed. I hunted for 30 days straight for elk, three states, and it's just me. So it's a little different than, like, say, the Born and Raised Land of the Free project. There's not multiple hunters. I'm not hunting with other guests. It's just me grinding it out, and I get you get to see that. Uh, some real public land elk hunting uh, and how it's so hard and why I love it. And I think it's, you know, I think we did a pretty good job. So I'm excited to share that with you. I think the goal is to drop three episodes a week. And I think that uh, you get to kind of learn from my mistakes, learn what I do well and see kind of what it was like. I hunted all new areas this year. So it was really like going into places blind, relying on my e-scouting and just working hard. And I'm excited for that. I hope you get a chance to check that out. Thank you, Basemap. Thank you, Matthews. Thank you, Baku E-Bikes, Wilderness Athlete, Phelps Game Calls, Grim Reaper. Uh, I want to talk about Elk Shape Camps real quick because we are going to do a quick little Black Friday, Cyber Monday sale. If you are interested in attending one of our seven live Elk Shape Camps, we are going to Seminole, Texas, Nashville, Tennessee, Marysville, Ohio, Boise, Idaho, Lancaster, PA, Denver, Colorado, and Ogden, Utah. And I'm excited because uh, four of those locations are pretty far east for me. And I can't wait to share with all these folks who are either new elk hunters or they've gone a few times or they haven't quite experienced consistent success. Plus, it's getting harder. The competition is thick. I want to showcase the blueprint on how to punch your tag in 2021. Plus, I bring my homie, Dirk Durham, teach you all the elk vocalizations. We do a lot of e-scouting, cyber scouting. We do all the fitness, all the nutrition, and all the elk tactics. And we, we really look into your archery game and we try to expose what whether your setup's not correct, your technique's not correct, or you have target panic, we're going to find out and give you a blueprint to fix that as well. Mitigate it and prepare and outwork your competition. So um, on Black Friday, we're going to have a discount code for 20% off our already early bird pricing. The discount code will be Black Friday. We also will have a sale on Cyber Monday. The discount code will be Cyber Monday. That will also be for 20% off the early bird pricing. And I want to get those camps sold out so I don't have to worry about marketing and I can focus on execution. So you guys heard it here first. We'll share it on social media on those days, but you guys can get a head start 
and go ahead and get set up for those camps. I can tell you that I know the Lancaster one will sell out for sure, like early. So if you are in that Pennsylvania area, get in while you can. Appreciate your guys' support. You have a lot of options when it comes to podcasts. We hope to bring you just this real authentic blue-collar elk hunters and basically help you guys elevate your game while you're listening, get you thinking about the things that matter, your faith, your family, what you're doing at home, how you engage with your family, how you work hard, and if you're pursuing a hustle, a side hustle, that you work hard and you know that you're – you're not alone. You're you're not you're not alone out there working hard in the name of better elk hunting. So appreciate you guys. We're gonna tune in here with Shonda Gray. We'll catch you at the end. I haven't I haven't done a podcast in a while. I've been hunting, man. How how are do you get to hunt, Mister Busy Guy? I uh, yeah, I try to hunt as much as I can. I only hunted I hunted Colorado archery elk, and. Uh, not really anything in Utah, and then I'm going to go with my boys to Texas for them. Oh, that'll be good. How old are your boys? 16, 13, and 10. Oh, dude, they're way older than I thought. Does that mean Does that mean you're older than I thought? Probably. I'm 43. No, that's about, yeah, I thought you were late 30s, early 40s. Okay. Uh, 16-year-old, huh? Driving yet? Oh yeah. Good. Do you put him to work in the summer? Yeah. He works full time for us. Good. Yeah. I might've saw him at big sky, but where do you live, Sean? Uh, in Utah. I swear you, I swear you lived in Montana or did you just operate out of Montana back in the day? So no, I, I just, I guided for Craig trophies West. Yeah. Forever. Right. So I was there. August through more or less through the end of November. Um, just guiding. That's it. I've never lived there. Is he still uh, running a shop out there? Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's yeah, cool. They're chasing elk and mule deer right now. Do you miss guiding? Um, yeah. I mean, enough. I try to do one hunt a year. Okay. But I quit guiding because. Um, it's time to hunt with my boys. Yeah. Good call. Uh, well, this is going to be a fun podcast because I want to get into how do you take boys hunting? How do you get more people into hunting? Like that's on all our radars, right? Oh, absolutely. And not going to lie. You're pretty good at getting archery. Cool. We're going to get into that. Like you're pretty important guy in my world and what you do. And I want to talk about that. Um, all the good stuff. So let's go back. Like, how did we meet, Sean? You and I, let's see. Actually, it was with Craig, too. I think we were out at uh, East Canyon with Bowcast, right? Yes. In 2000. Holy cow, when was that? 2008, maybe? Or is it earlier than that? Uh, well, it's the year before the first Bowcast at the Bird. And they were at the Bird it was probably earlier than that then. Because mm-hmm. I think they were at Bowcast at the Bird was around, what, four or five years. Okay. So, and that's eight. So, maybe in 2005. Okay. I think I shot with you guys. I can't remember. Did we? 
Yeah, you shot with Craig and I. Okay, that was right. Okay, and I got to know you guys, and uh, Craig's a cool dude. I haven't stayed in touch with him at all, so I'm I'm stoked to hear he's still running an outfit. That guy was like, looked like he could run up and down mountains all day. Yeah, he still looks like that. <laughs> so, I always tell him I can outrun him. I look like I can't run up one one step of a hill, and Craig's in really good shape, but I still give him a hard time about it. No, he's he's a good egg. So uh, you're in you're in Utah. You run this little business called TAC. Twenty what? Twelve. Twenty thirteen might have been our first one. Okay, I want to learn some business today, Sean. Like, what did a smacky guide come out of Montana and just be like, "All right, I'm gonna put wheels on this thing and and take kind of take us from the beginning." I, I'm really curious to know if you had a vision for what it's become and where it's going, I'm sure. And I just, I'm so interested in how you've made it what it is. So how did you acquire it? So uh, I helped Anthony and Sean for years just, you know, set up here or whatever they needed uh, at Bowcast at the Bird. And uh, they, you know, there were some, some things that, they could do to change the recipe that I thought would work well and to go bigger, right? Take it across the country because the idea and the, and what it was, was very sound and people wanted it. They just didn't know it yet. And there, um, so I kept hanging out with those guys doing things. And when Anthony told me that they were done, um, I uh, said, well, I'll buy your assets then and take it from there. And we, uh, seriously, like the, the foundation of it was sound. We just needed to change a few things to try to make it more appealing to the masses. And, uh, and so we implemented those right away. And actually we did snowbird one year by itself to get our feet wet. And then we launched it in Texas for our first out of Utah event. And we did have a vision, um, albeit I think most people go through this it took a long time to realize a lot longer than we were anticipating. Um, but, uh, we just, we kept at it. Like we knew it would work. We just had to figure out how to get it to into people's in front of people so they could see what it was. Okay. So you started in Texas of all places. Did you go to Hill country? Like when I thought of TAC. It's outside of San Antonio. Okay. Um, and the reason we went to Texas, we were looking for venues and where it was an unknown, um, on how it would go. We needed venues that would work with us too, instead of some outrageous flat fee. And a friend of mine, incidentally, who I met guiding, introduced us to the guys that own the venue in Texas. And, uh, so that's where we kicked it off. I think we did. That next year, we we did Texas, Pennsylvania, Montana, and um, Utah. We had an event scheduled in Wisconsin, but not enough people signed up, and I got cold feet, so I backed out. Okay. So, um, and it was scary those first couple of years. Like it was, it was a slow crawl. There was a lot of. I was working full-time um, for another event company called The Color Run. 
and doing this on the side and just trying to make a go of it. Our oh. first year we had one sponsor. Well, we had two Prime and Badass Outdoor Gear. Uh, <laughs> no, who? Badass <laughs> Outdoor Gear. Are they still around? Oh, yeah. Yeah, they've been at every event of ours since its inception. What do they do? Uh, they're an online retailer. Okay, cool. Of hunting gear. But yeah, they've gone, they've been, actually, they missed one event in all of our events, and that was this year. They missed Michigan because it was during uh, hunting season out here in the West. Yeah. Okay. You have a background in events. Like, that. The, the, I did not know that. Now it's start. I'm like, because I wanted to get into the logistics because uh, I have a small history in planning events, uh, owning a CrossFit gym for over a decade. I would run a couple c- CrossFit competitions. And by the end of it, I got pretty good. I had a couple spreadsheets. I had templates. And I kind of knew what to do eight months out, six months out, four months out. And I just – it got easier. But holy crap, there's a learning curve. Uh, not going to lie, like you having a background in events – that makes a lot of sense. So break that down for me, logistics. Like, do people have any idea, like, how much planning and preparation it goes into making these events happen? No, they don't. So tell us, how's that learning curve go for you? I don't know. We've already started for next year, right? Working on next year. Um, so there's a lot that goes into it. Uh, getting all of our equipment cleaned and prepped, ordering the new equipment that's required, be it targets or whatever, uh, getting all of our contracts in order and securing all of our um, supplementals, like stuff we need to contract out if it's porta potties or shipping or whatever. So there is a lot that goes into it. Um, the uh, But we've, you know, we've done it for so long that it's, uh, anyway, the, I think the, honestly, the, the harder parts are the setup of it. Cause once you show up, you, it's kind of ready to go short of, you know, moving people. I would say our biggest difficulty right now is registration, having people sign up because the events have gotten so popular, it's selling out fast. And we ran into a major issue last year with that. Uh, it crashed the website. So logistically, the hardest part, uh, it's a long process, but the hard part is handling registration. Mm. Do you do a third party for that or do you guys try to handle that? No, we have a third party that handles it. Of course, we handle all the customer service side, but we do have a third party that handles it. And uh, they just weren't prepared for the overload that came. And frankly... We didn't expect something like that either. Mm. Um, if I remember right, that day we opened between all the events, which was a mistake on our part, opening them all at, on the same day because uh, it crashed immediately. And I think we shut it down 45 minutes after it opened and there were 9,000 people registered. Oh, gosh. Yeah. <laughs> Do you feel like there's a ceiling that that you like have to uh, follow the rules like I can't have this many this is my cutoff or do, can you do it open ended if you have it open for several days in a row uh, so how- no we tried that right um 
and we learned our lesson on leaving it open in at Snowbird and Big Sky. People were waiting to get on the lift over three hours. Oh, okay. Wow. And and so that's why we shifted to what we call the knock times. Uh, and um, it works like a tea time, right? So we shifted that to spread people out on the mountain. So you knew if you have a 10 o'clock knock time, you know, you're getting on, you're not going to wait in a line. You're not, you're just getting on and, uh, within a 30 minute window. So if you sign up for 10 o'clock, you'll get on between 10 and 10 29. Cause we do 30 minute windows. And there's been a few people that didn't like it, but overall we've had a real positive reaction to doing that because it did spread people out. You're not waiting to get on the lift. You're not waiting an hour at every target. There's still some weight, but it's nothing like it would be if we left it open. Now, before we get into like the nitty gritty details, which I hope you don't mind. I just fascinated with it. I think uh, you guys do such a good job. I went to TAC this year. I hadn't been in a while. I went to the big sky and for all you archers out there listening, I find it a must, not a should, to do at least some sort of 3D tourney on top of a mountain, wearing a backpack right before the season. Um, because, I, I mean, Sean, you know, you're a guide, you're a hunter. It's just not the same. Your backyard is not training grounds for the real thing. And uh, that's the bottom line. And it's just a good excuse to be on the mountain. It's just... Uh, and it's very family oriented, which I dig. But let's talk about targets for a second. So I've been in the hunting industry for a while, and I have never inked a relationship with any target company ever. They're stingy, especially 3D targets. Like they don't need to sponsor anybody. Like it, the the shit is expensive. It's expensive to freight. Um, and then you have all these things going on weekend after weekend and i think in some cases maybe going on at the same time i'm not sure you have to correct me but that's a lot of targets like what are we talking about as far as how many targets do you have as assets how do you sell them once they've gone bad or do you got we've got uh i mean it just varies on the time but during the year we're around 400 targets um and then we'll sell those off at each event if there's some bad ones and we'll, uh, um, and then we, you know, we'll keep some typically we've cycled through all of our targets every two years, everything's being replaced. So we try to keep them fresh, uh, because that's, that's one thing we think people enjoy is having a good target. Absolutely. now but we will have one we've we've tried to figure this out for years to make it easy um and it just isn't but the biggest part is shipping right so if you want to order it it's not cheap to ship but we're working on a deal right now that should make it to where shipping's manageable because we just don't do it from where we're at and so getting somebody to to uh be able to pick that up and so the way we're probably going to do it moving forward is we're going to sell our used targets per pallet. So 
you know, if you order one or two, it's easy to do. You can do that at any event. We have targets for sale at every event. But if you're doing it after the season and we're shipping it, we're only shipping it in pallets. So you'd order five plus targets mm. to do it and we ship a pallet to you. That's the cheapest way to do it for us. When you talk about supplementals for these events and then kind of depreciating assets, i.e. targets, how are you getting these targets from point A to point B? Do you have like a giant enclosed trailer system or did you have like an 18-wheeler? How did you solve that problem? Yeah, 18-wheeler. No kidding. Yeah, we have a 53-foot trailer um, that we haul everywhere on top of a, a box truck or two. Uh, those 26-foot box trucks. And we just haul it event to event when did you realize i need an 18 wheeler and how did you go about getting one um so initially we were using box trucks and it was fine but as it grew probably four or five years four years ago we we're like we've got to change this this isn't working and i was actually in texas and our box trucks were going to be overweight and you don't want to be overweight when you're doing this commercial stuff they like to find you so we, uh, I called a friend of mine who does trailer sales. I said, dude, I got to have a trailer and I have to have it in five days. <laughs> I am not getting these out of here. We're going to be overweight by thousands of pounds. Can you help me? He says, I'll call you back. And so that was in, I was in San Antonio and he found a trailer in Houston and had it shipped over. <laughs> so oh. It was there within three days and we were in business. So that's the kind of stuff, like those kind of victories in small business are so rewarding when just, Oh, absolutely. You're just making, you're like making your will happen. You know, you'll put out one fire. I'm sure you turn around. There's another, but it's just, that's the thing I love about entrepreneurship. And that's why I ask you more of these weird off the cuff business questions. Cause I know there's people listening that have these ideas and they, and I want them to go for it um, Absolutely. I think if you want to hunt, you got to be self-employed. Otherwise, you got two weeks vacation, man. It's it's You're going to be watching Instagram and I get the messages all the time. How do you hunt so much? And uh, it's because I choose to be uh, – I wouldn't say poor. I just choose – I'm not a money chaser. I'm a time chaser. And entrepreneurship will provide you that. And that was one of the big reasons we made the shift. So when I was working at the Color Run, I had a year where I was – gone from my home 256 days mm. and i'm just like okay this has got to change i need to do something i absolutely love i loved my job but i just traveled too much and so when this became available to uh create something of our own it was so that hey i can run this nobody's going to do it want to do it in the fall so i can run this and if it works then i'm hunting all fall you know you're on the phone and doing emails but you can do that from anywhere yes you can that's that's it so is it just you and your wife doing this thing or do you have partners no just monica and i okay cool i i met her this year yeah and uh it's uh it's been fun a lot of guys are like how do you work with your wife but I'm telling you what she's the one that makes the she greases the wheels mm-hmm. and she does all the fine tuning and all that on the back end. 
and you know we're just the muscle on the front end moving targets and making sure things happen we have split responsibilities and she handles customer service and uh works on the accounting things like that and then i handle um the actual execution of the event and sponsorship oh lucky you um sponsorship stuff i mean fortunately you're in a position where honestly i mean you don't have i mean there's other events sure you're at the top tax the number one for sure in my opinion and uh so what where i'm going with that it it makes it easier it makes it a little easier for the ask yeah it when we started it was a it was a little bit harder um but it was also new right most people hadn't seen it. Bowcast was kind of its own gig, uh, and uh, it wasn't ever anything huge. And so going to companies that hadn't seen it, heard of it, our first year we approached one company, and they told us that fun shoots are dead and good luck. And, uh, you know, of course, we believe just the opposite. Fun shoots hadn't even started yet. And people really wanted to do it. You just had to give them something fun to do. And, um, and of course, you know, funny story, that, that company is now a sponsor of ours for the last four years that told us they're dead and good luck. That's uh, poetic justice. I love it. I think that's cool. Yeah, it's, it's been... It's been really fun. It hasn't come without its challenges, but uh, we've really enjoyed it. Um, It's, uh, I mean, it's really cool to see it happening to the point where you see all these other companies popping up too, right? Yes. And so it, uh, it's kind of fun to see that there's that type of influence out there. Let's look at the 2020 calendar and let's not mention the COVID word, but because uh, it's so we're moving forward as though that it, it's not going to be around. Thank you. So am I. I have my oak shape camp set. I'm going and I did. I'm doing it. I'm living my life. Yep. We're just going through contracts right now. OK. Trying to get all the dates set. We have a tentative schedule. Of course, we don't like posting dates until it's set in stone with a signature. But we do have our dates. And we're, we're starting to slowly roll them out. Texas, you know, starts in April. Uh, April 23rd is our event in Texas. And, uh, but it's going to be, basically we're shooting for all the same weekends we had last year, originally scheduled. Like Michigan was in August this year, but typically it's in June. We're going for June again. Good. Yeah, so we're planning on it. And so is everybody else, including we got a lot of people like, please tell us you're coming. And absolutely we are. Good. We got some fun stuff we're working on. I'm waiting to see how they want to do it, but we're, uh, we got some cool stuff planned for 21. So how many events did you have scheduled last year or this year in 2020? We had nine scheduled last year. This year we're working on 11, possibly 12. Okay, game on. Uh, I'm still campaigning for Schweitzer at a Sandpoint. Absolutely. I, and I mean, if you need a place to stay when you come over to do business negotiations, my house, I'll save you money. Stay here. My wife makes awesome food. But let's get that inked. 
Perfect. Yeah, we're uh, we're looking into that. We're trying to get some things done there. Um, we're looking at another one in the Midwest, and then another one here in the West, not including, you know, up by you, but down here. So mm-hmm. I'm not going to announce it because then you get lots of questions, and if it doesn't happen, then yeah, you know, we Smart. don't really get into that. It's just we are working on new venues. You know, we're we're working on a Canadian tour right now that would be separate. Um, we're working on that and hopefully that comes into fruition for this year also. And then I have a question about like this massive road trip that you do with your family. Are you lining them up to where we're leaving Utah? We're doing 10 to 12 and then we get home. Is that how it's going to work? Pretty much. Yeah. There's a couple gaps in there. Fourth of July is a gap and, but yeah, pretty much that's how it works. My son and I were on the road for six weeks last year before we came home. Dude, that's such a cool thing for a family. Sorry, two years ago. Two not, years ago. Not last year. Last year was a wreck because, well, <laughs> you know. Yeah. So two years ago, we left for six weeks, came back. You know, he's a kid. He still needs to hang out with his buddies, so we gave him some time to do that. But he's a he's a very important piece to the puzzle right now. Um, and, I mean – Granted, he's my kid, so I'm biased, but dude, he's badass. <laughs> like that kid works hard, doesn't complain, doesn't matter what the job is. He just gets after it. And think about his age. Yeah. Yeah. It's been absolutely a blast to, to see that. And he's very uh, cohesive to the other guys we work with and, you know, the participants. And so it's been fun. It's been a lot of fun. So, of course, there's always some more learning to do, but just like you and I, I mean, it can't stop. I do want to go through your perspective of like, because there's people listening that have never gone to attack, and I was pretty adamant on getting you on here because I believe it, it's so, it fits the mold of elk shape as far as separation is in the preparation. I've kind of already alluded to that, but like, take us through, you're the event you run the show. Take us through what the event should look like for these participants that have never done it before. Maybe a day in the life of TAC. Um, yeah. So my, the way we envision it is when they first show up, we want it to have some element of wow factor, whether that's our vendor area, you know, is bigger and maybe anticipated. Um, the uh, archery range, we always like to have way more than we need just to give them that you know, initial when they walk through, they're like, okay, I get it. This is why, um, before they even get on the mountain. And so that kind of stuff is really important to us that when they show up, they feel like it, but also that, you know, we try to burn through that, that line, make them feel welcome to where they're part of the team or, or part of our family. We get a lot of people that reach out, Hey, I'm a first timer. What do I need? And, uh, one thing that, I think has naturally happened and been nurtured in this industry, at least on the fun shoot side is everyone else there is so welcoming and willing to help. And I'm talking to other people like you, for example, uh, a guy shows up, it's his first time and he's shooting alone cause his buddies wouldn't come and you guys pick him up. Hey, come shoot with us. Right. Yep. And that happens so much. You wouldn't believe it. 
Like we have one guy, he did five of all five of our events last year and they pick up, you know, they'll, they'll pick up new guys everywhere they go. We've got guys that have met, Hey, we met at TAC and we do everything together. We've got people that start businesses together. I mean, it's just a very welcoming, non-ego driven event. Mm. And I don't know if that's just ours, but that's what we want it to be. That's how you pick up more archers. Oh, you know, it is very inclusive and it's such a bad taste when you get into exclusive stuff and egos and it's machismo. I hate that. So it is very inclusive and welcoming. And uh, when you get there, that vendor village is set up to where you walk through, you get to kind of see a lot of friends in the industry and, and, and hang out with people. And uh, then you get to go up on the mountain and shoot and you're not waiting in line. And you can pick a several different courses or do all the courses, make a weekend out of it. How many courses do you like to offer? Uh, four to five. Okay. So we do five. Knock on has, and I think there's four events he does, maybe five for this next year that he'll be at. So we do five courses there. We are going to add a sixth course to Utah and uh, possibly one other um, just to make some for some more room. But uh, four is at all of them, except, you know, we have those what three that will be more than or four that have five. So it's about half and half. Yeah, that's a lot of targets. Oh, for real. But I mean. I know that when I went to Big Sky, we just did, um, uh, I think the Sika course. Uh, yeah, I think the Sika course. And I don't remember our knock time, but it wasn't super early. But, I mean, we barely got a ride off the mountain from you. We were, we thought we'd missed rides. We were almost back. Uh, and it was an all-day thing. And I was smoked. We had covered a ton of miles. But we never had to wait on anybody. And we got to shoot so many targets to where... I was good, and uh, I talked to. I stayed the night uh, in the campground there, or actually in the parking lot next to Dudley. And man, there was people like it looked like, like I saw the the black rifle guys and uh, Jocko. It seemed like they were going up and shooting a different course every day for several days in a row. And I thought that was super cool. And that was kind of like I need to do that next year. Like greedy Dan wants to shoot almost a course a day and then go play with the kids or something. Try to get the family involved. You know what I mean? Yep. Yeah. And there's a lot of guys that do that. And, and I think it's great. The weekend thing's awesome. We work with those nonprofit. Now, granted last year due to uh, the COVID, we couldn't do any of our um, fundraising uh, parties, hmm. but uh, we try to have an event on Friday night, Saturday night, to help raise funds, but also, you know, raffles and all that good stuff, just to have a good fun time gathering together as archers and, and, uh, put our money more into conservation. And that's been a super successful, uh, platform to raise money. And, um, and it's pretty cool to watch. I mean, people are just donating to the cause and that's been a lot of fun. Yeah. You raised a lot of money for, uh, Rocky mountain elk foundation, uh, and I'm sure some other ones. What what all nonprofits have you been working with? So we work with 
on those a uh, after parties, Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation, Backcountry Hunters and Anglers, and Wild Sheep. And in not last year, in 2019, I think those parties raised over 250000 mm. You're doing something. Yeah. That's significant. That's the participant. The part participants are doing something right yeah I mean, they're they're the ones putting that money there you know our our part in it is we provide a platform for them to do it and uh you know we don't take anything from it this is a hundred percent like let's raise some funds and and uh take care of what we love to do which is hunting absolutely uh chris b let's talk about chris b for a second yeah. Are you talking Chris crispy as in the guy out of Michigan? Yeah. Yeah. I'm talking Chris, Mr. Chris B. Be real. Uh, I got his cell phone number. I'm going to be giving him a call. I want to do a YouTube collab with him and uh, I'll probably get him on the podcast. But that little shit has won uh, your truck giveaway two years in a row. And I want the breakdown on that. Okay. So he, he did not win the first year. Okay. So Travis Johnson actually won with Chris B's bow. Oh, that's almost yeah. like, so a lot of people thought that a lot of people were thinking Chris B's won twice. He did have the truck twice, but Travis Johnson actually won the truck in 2019 with Chris B's bow. How do you win the truck for those that don't know what we're talking about? So the truck is a 111 yard shot. At the 12 ring, you can't break the line. It's got to be 100% inside. And uh, your name goes in a hat if you make it. And then what we do at the end of the year is shoot somehow. Like last year, we had we put all the names on a piece of paper and stuck it on the target and had Travis shoot from like 120-something yards. And then whoever's ticket he punched, yeah. then that was the and the odds of him hitting Chris B obviously are crazy, but <laughs> so it worked, but it, uh, the year prior, I mean, every time we're shooting at, uh, a plate full of names, right. Yeah. And whoever's those names are randomly selected. We don't even look at who they are. We just pull it out and put it on this piece of paper and shoot it. And that's it. So what truck was given away in 2019 and what was given away in 2020? In 2019, it was a Ford F-150, comes with a Lightner Designs rack, which if you're into the cargo rack, we've used a bunch of them. That one, in my mind, is, that's the best one. Most sturdy, heavy duty, that thing is the bomb. Like, that's our favorite one. And then they have those luggage compartments that you can attach to it. And so in 2019, it was the F-150 lifted. Um, it was used. So, well, they're always used cause I drive them event to event, but that one, I think when he won it had 30 something thousand miles on it. Then we bought a brand new truck for 2020. It was the Chevy trail boss again with the Lightner rack. And this time we did a deck system. Those storage systems have, you know, who decked is, I want to know them. I, yes, I do. You there. I need it. I agree. And I think everyone does like after using it this year, I've always wanted one. Cause I like the idea, but this year we got to use it 
because we had the truck. And so we were putting stuff in there that goes with the truck or with the chute. And every person who hunts needs that thing. It's awesome. So that's what, that was different this year. We hadn't had the deck system in the past. We put that in this year, uh, but it also comes with some Sitka gear, some Yeti cooler and some drinkware and uh, some loophole optics. Like you get a full package. It comes with a Hoyt bow. Jeez. How much is one ticket to shoot at that target? It's $15 for one shot. Is there any cap on how many you can do? Nope. Sky's the limit. Sky's the limit. I'm going to set aside a little budget for that uh, shot next year. I think I am. We're going to put out there for 2021. I'm already looking for trucks just to kind of see what people want. If it's a Chevy or Ford or Ram or maybe that new Jeep Gladiator. Dude, yeah. I don't know what people want. I just went through – I just had a – I just sold my Tacoma right after elk season. And this is why I'm bringing this up. It's super relevant because I was hunting out of my truck for over 30 days for elk. And I was pulling a trailer. And I'm, so it was like my, my third Tacoma. And when I bought it, I'm like, I'm never selling this again. But long story short is I was I moved camp so many times when I elk hunt. It was chewing up so much time trying to f- – puzzle and put all my stuff i had a yakima rack i had a topper i had a trailer no more i was like this truck doesn't have enough power i'm going slow upgrades i'm gonna have to get a full-size truck and so i actually got a gmc like a three-quarter ton gasser um and before that i had a ram 2500 all tricked out lifted deleted chipped whatever Uh, yeah but I don't know. So I'm really interested to hear what people think because Dan Evans hunts out of a Jeep and he's got that thing tricked out like Overland style. And I'm, I'm wondering what is the best system I'd like to see. Like I want a topper for my truck that I can elevate up and sleep in as a tent and then put it back down. And I want the deck system in there. Um, because I like hunting out of a truck. If I want to go off road, I'm going to take a four wheeler, but I'd like, sleeping at my truck how about you i i agree i like mobility um and a lot of that varies like this year where we hunted in colorado we had a cabin and it worked out great but we like mobility because if things aren't happening you got to move and uh i after driving so we gave away a tacoma three years ago okay uh, and after driving the tacoma the f-150 and the Chevy Trail Boss. Right now, me personally, I like the F-150. Yeah. So we're looking at the Ram, but I mean, the F-150's pretty sexy truck too. Um, let me ask you this: on the F-150s, what's the what's the fancy model that's a four door? Like, I don't. Do they call them a Platinum or what are they? Yeah, the Platinum. Platinum I, or Lariat. The Platinum's higher than the than the. Uh, it is. That's the highest one I think is platinum. I just got a ride. I killed this South Dakota mule deer and I packed half it out and the, the, it was a walk-in only area. And this guy comes out of the private and he's like, was that you way back there? And I was like, yeah, he's like, well, I can give you a ride if you, if you have more to get. And I'm like, yeah, I got another hind quarter and shoulder. He's like, yeah, I can take you on the private 
and I'll take you back there. And dude, talk about like, I must have done something good karma wise. I was like, thank you. But anyways, he was driving that platinum F-150. I got in the back seat and I, I mean, it was the most room I've ever seen in the back seat of a truck ever. I mean, yep. Maybe that's the truck. I'm a huge fan. Uh, so I don't, all I have right now is I've got, we have a Dodge Dually that we use for work to haul our, some of our trailers. Mm-hmm. It's a, it's for different work. We don't use it to travel around for tack. It stays local. Yeah. And I got, I don't have a truck now. So we're looking for a hunting truck and, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking I'm going F-150. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't blame you. It I mean- won't be the Lariat or not Lariat, the what is what is the one right below the platinum? Lariat's the Dodge or the Ram, excuse me. I don't know. No, Whatever. it's Lariat because I think isn't Laramie the Laram? Oh, Laramie. Yeah, that's right. You're right. You're right. No, I think you. So got it. anyway, I I lean F one fifty because I think they have the biggest room in the cab. Yeah. And I don't know about you, but for some reason, that cab is only big enough for me and one other guy. And then the whole back seat's loaded up with stuff. Certainly. Because you're, you know, your bow and all your gear depend on what's happening that day. And anyway, so, but I don't know. We're going to see what everybody else wants. I tried this last year and the vote, it's funny how even it runs between Ram, Ford, and Chevy. Mm. It's always pretty even. I've always been a Toyota guy, but here I am with the GMC. So, um, yeah, GMCs are nice. It's all right. Honestly, it doesn't matter to me. I just get the biggest, longest bed you can and throw a topper on there, and you're good to go for hunting. And you know. the deck system Ugh. is a changer for your bed. Uh, I want, I'm scheming. So let's, uh, let's switch gears because, um, I mean, we talked 42 minutes now on tack, and I have a very experienced elk hunter on the line here. So I'll, I want to end the podcast talking a little about uh, your elk hunting pedigree and, and kind of how things have maybe changed since you've started guiding and now you're now taking your boys out. So you have you guided in Montana for how many years? Uh, I started in 2001 and... You know, I I didn't guide this year for him, but uh, 15 years, and then I'll do a hunt here or there for Craig. Yeah. And then I guided in Alaska for, I started working for the outfitter as a grunt in 96, I think, 95 or 96. And then I quit working for him in 2007, I believe was the last year I guided for them. Um, and then I guide for a new outfitter now. Uh but uh for brown bear and we try to we'll try to do that hunt once a year if we can i did not go this year because i wanted to focus on my elk in colorado we can't even go down the brown bear that's my one that's my bucket hunt don't care if i ever shoot a sheep don't care if you know none of that don't shoot bug but brown bear not a, not a grizz a coastal brown bear with a bow that's the top of my list bears for me they're um i it's my favorite animal to hunt mm-hmm. while at the same time, the hardest time I have killing or, or, uh, perhaps, a, uh, perhaps a sense of a deeper respect, I guess, killing that than other animals. I don't really know why, but I'm enamored by that animal. 
I've always told people that it's a lot to do with, yeah, I mean, they have sharp teeth and they're a great predator, but there's a couple other things like their smell is so much better than a whitetail and any other animal out there that they live in a world of smell that we'll never understand. And then their age class, we get excited, right? You're, you're on some warriors that have been wandering the tundra for a long time. I mean, we, uh, the oldest bear I remember, um, was 26, <laughs> 26 year old bear. Think about that. I mean, oh. he's been wandering that for just hard living for 26 years. I mean, he didn't have hardly any teeth left in his mouth and he's blind in one eye and ear ripped off. And I mean, he was a, he was a battle battle warrior for sure. Yeah. I love bears. Uh, well, let's talk about elk for a little bit. I don't know really what to ask you, but like, let me get your lens on how elk hunting, specifically archery, has changed in the last decade. Where are we at with this thing that's pretty stinking popular? How have elk hunting and how have elk changed and how have they stayed the same? Um, <clears throat> well, I think... Honestly, I think the biggest change on the archery side of things, oh, you know what? Rifle shooting too is distance. Mm -hmm. I really do think that's, of everything, that's probably the biggest change that I've seen is, you know, no longer is it 30 yard shot is what you need. People are, are dropping some bombs. Um, and, uh, I would say that's the biggest change, um, you know, we've killed guys that are killed elk with some guys that, you know, they're shooting 70 yards or whatever. And I know out there there's guys that shoot farther, but, uh, that, that would be the number one change. Um, secondly, I think it's, and you probably see this out in the area you're hunting on the public lands is the popularity of it is off the charts, which is a good thing. Uh, it crowds it, but I think it's good. Yeah, it's, I don't know if it's a COVID thing, but I've never seen anything like this year. And I don't dislike it. I know it's good, but I can tell you it's making it harder, which again, that's great. I mean, that means we got to work harder. We got to do. Yeah. We can't think, Hey, we need to grow hunting because we need to, uh, you know, we need to be strong enough to, to be able to continue to hunt and have our kids hunt. You can't want that and not want new recruits in the hunting world. Fact. It just doesn't work. So, so there, that, I mean, you just have to gamble with it, but you just, you know, the guys that are getting it done are just going to grind a little harder. Yeah. You know, they'll get in a little deeper. And, uh, and it works. I mean, Ryan Carter is a perfect example of when he needs to get the job done. I mean, that guy, he grinds and he gets it done time after time. And, you know, it's, it's getting busier and busier on those mountains and he's still able to pull it off. Yep. That guy's on a whole nother level of time in the field too. And trail camera game that might be unmatched. He he really is like I can't match that. No mm -hmm. way. No, nope. I can't. So it, uh, but I, I mean I, 
I think a, we're definitely getting better at, you know, you see scent control stronger. And a lot of guys in the past wouldn't use that for elk. And now that's a, a big part of an elk plan. And I think that's a good plan because they're realizing how critical scent can be, especially when you're in those transition areas between food and bed or whatever. Um, I've seen a lot of elk on our hunts where, you know, it's just screwed it up. And in the past, it hasn't really, you know, we didn't really look at it as critical as the guys back east do with whitetail. That's been a major shift. I haven't seen that. That's cool to hear. I ha- I I personally am not a huge scent guy, uh, but I'm also not a pound the same country kind of guy. Even even this year, I just don't like. I feel like your best opportunity is your first time you're in there before you stink it up. I would agree. With that. Um, yep, I would agree with that. Where I was in Colorado this year, you know, I was out there for 25 days. Um, I was not on public land. Well, I hunted. Well, that's not true. I hunted public land for about 12 days. And, uh, um, but we had some really good wallows on a friend's ranch. And so we hunted that, um, and that scent control side, I was in there constantly and, and it played a major role Mm -hmm. because they were, you know, we're 18 to 23 yards away from these things. And it didn't matter which way the wind was blowing it, uh, cause it's always swirling in those canyons that. I felt like that was the reason I screwed up. I should have, I had a bull come in that was borderline for me because you know how, you know, the whole story, you find a giant. So you hunt all the time you have on that giant pass up really good bulls and then go home with nothing. (laughs) That's what it takes though, man. (laughs) Well, yeah, you're right. Well, that's what happened. Except my father-in-law was with me on this. The last few days I was there, he was there with me, what, three days. And the bull I wanted, I had him twice, but I could not close the distance. We were done sitting. He wasn't coming in. They were sounding off like crazy cows and bulls fighting. They're just gathered up. So we got right in the middle of them and we were surrounded 360 degrees. And I had that bull. He was at 71 yards forever. And then I finally got him down to 50 but it was just getting too dark and there was two other bulls there and I didn't want to screw it up. So I backed off thinking, Oh, well this will be easy. I'll just get him tomorrow. And then I never saw him again. Oh yeah. (laughs) He just disappeared and he was a giant. And so on the last day, uh, you know, I, we don't, the only thing we buy from the grocery store is chicken. And so Michael, I'm just going to shoot a cow and that'll be good. And then this six point that it, had been coming in every day, basically. He was the only thing that came in that night, so I shot him. So I ended up getting a bull. But yeah. It wasn't I was chasing. Were you in a blind or a stand? I was in a blind. Yep. Okay. A blind on a wallow. Yeah. I like blinds. I, I do, too. I haven't ever killed an elk out of a tree stand. I still kind of want to do that since I have a lot of whitetail hunting reps, but I've never done it. I'm not very patient. Yeah. Um, I'm not a, I can, I can sit in a blind a lot easier than I can in a tree stand. Oh, for sure. You can actually move around. (laughs) Exactly. I'm, I've, 
I went and hunted in Ohio for whitetail one year with Donnie Wilson. And I sat in the blind all day, one day. And then after that, I'm like, I'm done. I can't do that again. Mm. Like I just too antsy. I can't do it. No doubt. Well, when you were guiding, you had a lot of people that probably depended on your knowledge um, they probably showed up with some preconceived notions, uh, and then they were immediately introduced to a rude awakening called elk hunting. And that's what I find when I <laughs> when I go teach these elk shape camps is I'm trying to bottle up as much information, and most of it comes from all the mistakes I've made. And I'm trying to put myself in their shoes, like because there's just a lot you don't know until you know it, and there's a lot I just can't teach at a camp. It's you're gonna need to to make these mistakes, but let's try, Sean, and let's end it here. Like, let's go through a couple, two or three, just mistakes that most likely new elk hunters are gonna make, even though we're gonna tell them not to do it right now. Yeah, it, I would say. Um, so my guiding's a little different, and I and I think we need to kind of put that out there. Is all my guidings that I've done on elk has been on private land. So there's an advantage there for me where, you know, you're not gonna, the elk, the elk in my experience act the same as far as, you know, they have their certain ways they like to come in and out of things and certain calling at different times. But it's it's definitely different because we don't compete with the public. So I think that's the first thing. But outside of that, I'd say the number one thing is, when to call and what and how to call is, is the first thing we're like, no, we're not going to call right now. No, we don't want to do that. You know, it's, it's knowing the right time to talk to them and, and what to say. That would be, that'd be the number one thing we see with these guys when they come out is everybody wants to jump out and just start ripping off calls and working the, working over the, the bulls, but not in my experience. And I'm going to echo that. I mean, this 2021 curriculum, I'm going to teach less calling. Um, we're going to teach how to call. I bring like Dirk Durham or Jason Phelps, and they're phenomenal. But the way that it's becoming more crowded, uh, I've done the math. I'm a nerd. I've said this on the podcast before, but I have a spreadsheet on every elk I've ever killed because I like to know the time of day, the date, how far the shot the recovery, all that kind of stuff. Like I track it. And if you look at that spreadsheet, I think there's like one hand, how many I've killed vocalizing. And then the rest, and I mean the rest is shut your mouth. And so I am going to put an emphasis on my, my camps is, is spending more time, like shut your mouth and let the elk do what they want to do and sneak in work around the cows. That's going to be the biggest challenge. Stay in the bubble, in the buffer zone and be patient and be way more patient than you want to be. And you're going to get a shot at an animal that's not looking at you, not staring at you, not on full alert. And I think that's huge, man. What do you think about that? No, I would agree with that. I mean, I do think there's certain times where you should call. Uh, I had a hunt with um alan Bolin, we were hunting elk up in montana okay and uh we had the we were we had a friend that was sitting down on this pond and we were way up high kind of overlooking them 
yeah in case these elk they would come down into this pond water and then work their way back a different direction and so we were gonna um ambush them well there was this bull that was sounding off like crazy and he couldn't have been 150 yards from us just over the ridge just going nuts and he was walking back and forth just sounding off sounding off and uh i said hey i'm gonna cow call and he's like man i don't know if you should i'm and i did anyway <laughs> and that bull came right to him thumped him under 30 yards ran off fell over dead but there's just we've had that same thing happen where we're like i'm gonna cow call and that thing shuts up and leaves well sure yeah i i agree with how he was acting he i didn't i didn't think he had anything anybody with him cows or hanging out with some buddies or whatever so i think there are certain times where it's effective but i agree with you i think 90% of the time be quiet and move in on them yeah and and yeah and knowing when to vocalize is so so it's kind of an art and uh I don't know, man. I, I, I'm still learning myself. Uh, I can make all the sounds pretty good. And I guess I, I'm coming at it from a solo hunter's perspective as well. Like if you hunt with somebody that's very good at calling, you can do these setups. You're damn right it's effective. And, and I can't argue that. But there's something. I think you can have the same scenario, the exact same scenario play out. And it's going to have a different ending. Yes. And so, I mean, somebody like Corey Jacobson or Phelps that call all the time, I'll bet they've got a thousand stories of when, and we both know those guys can call. Oh, yeah. Of when they called and it didn't work. <laughs> yeah. You know, we're talking about the pros. Yeah. And so uh, that's why calling is so, I mean, that elk can be so hot the night before and the next morning he doesn't even care and so that's why i agree with your strategy that you just get in and i mean a lot of it you just have to play by ear on what the elk are doing and how they're talking but if a if a bull has cows i hardly ever talk mm, that's a good okay yeah i would say there's almost like an inverse relationship the a bull has cows your calls go down and vice flip that, you know, if a bull doesn't have cows, you can vocalize more. That's a good general rule. The last thing I want to ask you, Sean, you've been elbow deep in many dead elk. Uh, people, specifically archers, are they're going to wound a bull or they're wound bulls. People don't like to talk about it. It sucks. It's happened to everybody. And if it hasn't, you just haven't bow hunted long enough. It will. Um, I want you to just from your expansive knowledge and experience, most importantly, where do you shoot an elk? Well, when do you not shoot an elk? Like best practices, kind of cliff notes version on putting that, because that arrow will kill them for these guys listening that haven't shot a bull yet. That's a hard one, right? I would say, yeah. I'll, I'll, I would say you start that conversation with there's, you remember when Anthony and Sean used to put out those videos for full moon productions, mm -hmm. there's a guy on there and I forget his name and he's talking about when to shoot, when not to shoot, how far you can shoot ethically and all that. And he said something that stuck with me forever and I've repeated it a lot. And it's the, the 
an un, an unethical shot is the unpracticed one. So it can be unethical at 20 yards if you're not practicing. So that's what it, to me, that's kind of where it starts. I don't want to, if you're talking, where do you shoot it on the body or when not to shoot? Like it's, that's a hard one to say, but as a general rule, I mean, for me personally, I think, I think you can be very effective out to 70 yards beyond that. I think it becomes less effective, especially depending on poundage your bow and how much you practice and all that. But for me, the, like the ultimate range is that 30 to 50 yard range. For me, that's where you can get that close without being in fear of screwing something up. And, and uh, it's not too far that you can't make a really good shot. So, uh, but I'm not sure I understood your question. Did you mean where on the body or you mean? Yeah, I'm thinking, I'm thinking shot angles. Um, as far as distances go, I mean, I think you said it really well, like, an unethical shot is one that's not practiced, and that's why you go to tack, because you shoot elk. They live in terrain that is not your backyard, and you nine times out of ten are wearing a backpack. Your hat is soaked in sweat, and you've been doing this several days. You're under some fatigue and duress, and there's a stressful situation, and target panic is creeping in. You just want to get rid of that arrow. And you didn't go to tack and practice any of that. I'm so stoked for you that you can hit the bullseye in your flat backyard range. It's not the same thing. But no, that's not what I'm talking. I'm talking from an anatomical, Sean DeGray has cut up a lot of elk. You know how tough they are. Like, Maybe just a little bit more of like the bone structure, the anatomy, and the shot angle perspective. Yeah, so, I mean, I, ultimately, I think the best shot is quartering slightly away with the front leg forward. Hmm. And uh, and you're right behind that front leg about a third of the way up. That's That, to me, is like the ultimate. Um, but if that's not, if he's straight bra, I like frontal shots and quartering away where you have to go through the gut it's quartering away is even though you've got vitals exposed that's a hard one for me because typically when you're hunting elk they've either been feeding or whatever you've got a stomach that's full of grass right and that's a big animal so he's been eating his stomach's full you got to punch through that and try to get to that opposite shoulder so i'm not a huge fan of that one because your margin of error is so small. But broadside and slightly quartering away are my favorite and just above. You know how, and, and in fact, I was talking to a friend of mine yesterday. He, he's like, did you know this? When you look at how the bone structure of uh, a deer or an elk, the front leg comes up, and then at that joint, it actually bends forward and joints again to the scapula, which comes back. So it's not bone straight up all the way from the leg all the way straight up. Yeah, there's that V, the vital V, I think. Anyway, what I was saying is how that bone structure, a lot of guys don't know. I don't know where we got cut off. Just right, yeah, coming up the leg and there's a little bit of a vital V where it's not bone. Yeah, where it's not bone. A lot of guys don't realize that. And, I, and so that's a good 
that's a good area to just work off of instead of, Hey, do I go behind the shoulder? It's like, Hey, if you come straight up that leg where the leg touches the body and just come up a third, you're right in that heart and lung area instead mm. of being back. Yeah. But those animals have such a giant kill zone that, but that's, that's my favorite. And especially if it's just open front leg forward, that's my favorite. Yeah, I like what you said about that quarter and away shot, especially like in the evening or let's let's specifically in the morning when they've been feeding all night. I mean, you just you got a hay bell. <laughs> yeah, you're shooting through a hay bell. You're absolutely right. And I'm not saying guys can't do it. Right. But it's just, that's not my ideal shot because you really are shooting through. A, you're right. It's a hay bell, a hay bell full of liquid. <laughs> yeah. No, that's cool. I've never thought of that way and. Yeah, it's something to think about, and I, I, I totally agree, man. That slightly quartering away shot is the one I dream about. So, yeah, it's uh, a perfect. And typically, when they're like that, hopefully they're not looking at you. Well, get uh, get us pumped up about uh, 2021, Sean. Um, where can we be in the know for when you drop registrations and locations and some of that exciting stuff? Question. So this year's a little different, just based on last year's experience. So. We are not going to open registration until we have a better feel on what local government is going to allow. And, uh, you know, we hope to know that within the next 60 days and with some of the announcements that have come out and whatever. So typically we've opened in December. This year we're not planning on opening in December. We're going to wait and, and find out just because it's a pain for everyone to get refunded and all that on anything canceled. So... We're playing that one by ear, but TotalArcheryChallenge.com is where you're, you'll be able to get all our dates or on Facebook and Instagram, Total Archery Challenge. And we're slowly posting them as we get the dates uh, inked. Like we've got the dates set. We're just waiting for them to have a signature attached to them. I don't know I'm doing this year. I don't know, man. It depends on what you guys announce. Um, probably Big Sky if I if you know, if you don't get one over here in the Northwest, uh, yeah, probably big sky. I, I had such a good time. I can scout for elk. Um, if I have a Montana tag, I can kind of buzz over, do some scouting and then go shoot. Um, I kind of want to bring my family, Sean. So I'm yeah, bring them. I, I do. I want to bring them and then I can get up early, go do the mountain and then go. Cause they don't want to go. They're still little. I got little ones, but, uh, it'll be How good. Um, I got a six-year-old and a four-year-old, so we're getting close. A lot of fun stuff for the family outside of our event. You know, there's a lot of cool stuff around Big Sky. Oh my gosh, that including was including Yellowstone. Yeah, we now we did that last year. We went to Yellowstone, but I was looking at the Big Sky just staying there. They had like a water place, a bunch of cool stuff for the kids, mountain biking. I don't know. I'm gonna try it and. This is a pro tip for all you guys out there. I try to plan scouting, camping, family trips in the summer. And uh, that that could comp, that could dot a lot of I's and cross a lot of T's. So thank you for putting it on, Sean. Um, you guys, check out Sean's website. I'll put a link to his socials as well so you can stay in the know. And this tack thing is a must, not a should, and they're going everywhere. So remember, separation is in the preparation. Appreciate you guys listening to this podcast. We will catch you on the next one.
Awesome, guys. I, I think that was a good podcast with Sean. He's super chill guy and very intelligent. I appreciate him coming on. I wanted to give you guys a couple of our discount codes if you're into saving money. And Vortex Wear. I work out in Vortex clothing now. They've made such a good line. Uh, check it out. Hashtag fit for anywhere. Discount code is ElkShape. That'll save you 20% off any Vortex Wear items. Wilderness Athlete, if you've never tried their products, look into the Hydrate Recover. I have at least two scoops a day of that. So I burn through a tub about every two or three weeks, and that's because my wife does as well. She steals my supplements. And then the energy and focus on the days you're not feeling it. Uh, they have an awesome post-workout, pre-workout. They have regular protein to put in your smoothies, things like that. Discount code is ELKSHAPE30 to save 30% off your first purchase. Northwest Retention Systems. These guys make the custom chest holster that goes under your bino harness and it does fit perfectly. These guys are out of Washington. They make a custom gun holster to your sidearm. So if you go to their website, use the discount code ELKSHAPE. You will have no shipping and handling. Their turnaround time is less than two weeks and it's like I said, it's handmade custom for you. Stowaway Gourmet, I uh, for freeze-dried food, which that's what I rely on in the backcountry. If you're stocking up for next year or for spring bear, use a discount code ELK10. Wide variety of foods. They have chefs that make them on site. Their food is not pre-cooked or shipped in. It's made right there in their warehouse in Oregon. And the discount code again is ELK10. That'll save you 10% off Stowaway Gourmet. Black Ovis. Discount code is ELKSHAPE. That'll get you 15 to 20% off. If the discount code does not work on certain items, you have to pick up the phone, call in your order, say, I'm an ELKSHAPE podcast listener. I want that 20% off, yo, and they will hook it up. Lakewood Products out of Wisconsin. They make the sickest bow cases, and uh, they have a double and a single. I like the double because I take two bows with me like I did this year, and I, I broke my first my bow the day before the opening. You'll find out on the YouTube series. But anyways, bring two bows when you hunt out of state. I use a double bow case from Lakewood. Use discount code ELKSHAPE2020. You'll get 10% off. And lastly, Climate, which, again, I don't get any commissions on any of these. This is just straight up. Here you go. Climate Sleep Systems, they have really good pads, pillows, bags, tents. If you're in the market for any of that stuff, go to their website and use the discount code ELKSHAPE20. That'll save you 20%. That's what I got. We'll catch you on the next one. I appreciate your guys' support. Have the best week ever and keep hustling. And remember, separation is in the preparation.